And now let's take our copies of God's Word, pardon me, and turn to the first chapter of John's Gospel. John chapter 1, and we will read the first 18 verses. You will need your Bibles open, and we will be saying a great deal from this text this morning. If you are new here, we believe in expository preaching. The authority is in the text, and so the text is expounded. It's easy to follow because I typically announce the points as we move along, but you really need the text before you, and you need to apply your minds and your hearts. Let's pray before reading this portion of God's Word. Our Father, we ask that as you have given to us this word without error, and it is your holy, sacred scripture in which Christ is revealed, and you show yourself to be the redeemer of sinners, we pray that the blessed Holy Spirit will be at work, that we may see something of the beauty of this story, this great narrative of the birth of Christ but that we first and foremost may understand who he is who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we ask that we as your people may have a deepened sense of amazement as we consider the incarnation of our Lord, who he is and what he came to accomplish. And pray also that those who are among us this day who do not know the Lord Jesus, that they will come to know the Savior. Help us now to set aside all concerns but this one, seeing Christ in this text and exalting him together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. This is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. People of God, 
Often before Christmas, I turn to John chapter 1 and attempt to preach it. I can never scale its heights. I can never plumb its depths. But it is a joy to try. Will you this morning try with me to grasp something of the height and depth and length and breadth of this wonderful text about Jesus Christ and his incarnation? It is a most precious, incomparable text. Well, what does this text tell us about Christ and about Christmas? Let's see and exalt him together. First, the text teaches us that our Lord Jesus Christ is pre-existent and eternal. Jesus is pre-existent and eternal. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. You hear a reference to Genesis 1, don't you? The sun did not begin to exist. When creation began, he had always been. That's why he can say in John 17 in his high priestly prayer that he had glory with the Father before the world was. And in Colossians 1.17, he was before all things. John's stupendous point is there never was a time when the word was not. Our Lord Jesus has been from all eternity. He is the pre-existent and eternal Son. But secondly, as we move on in the text, we see that our Lord Jesus is co-equal with the Father. He is co-equal with the Father. He is distinct from the Father, the text makes that plain, yet one with the Father. Look at it. The Father and the Word are two persons. The Word was with God, literally face to face with God. And yet face to face suggests intimate fellowship as equals. Both persons then are co-equal from eternity, and as we study Scripture, we also know co-equal with the Holy Spirit. Here is the doctrine of the Trinity, that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and in glory. One God, three persons, inexplicable mystery, but there is no Christianity without it. Therefore, Though distinguishable from the Father, co-equal, distinguishable from the Father, we see thirdly that our Lord Jesus Christ is God. Now this, I would argue, is the main thesis and theme of John's Gospel, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is God. Read verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There we have it. Absolute clarity. No ambiguity whatsoever. The Son was no created being. The Son was not inferior to the Father. He is God. Now think of it. Jesus is God in all of his perfections. Is the Father infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth? Then so is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he can say to Philip in John 14, He who has seen me has seen the Father. I am the revealer of the Father. And in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. Bernard of Clairvaux said, It is rashness to search too far into it. It is piety to believe it. It is life eternal to know it. And we can never have a full comprehension of it till we come to enjoy it. In verse 2, we are told, 
He was in the beginning with God. And so we have one essence with the Father and yet distinct from the Father. John Arrowsmith, the Puritan, put it this way, Ask the sun if ever it were without its beams. Ask the fountain if it were without its streams. So God was never without his son. And so when you bow within your heart before Christ, before whom are you bowing? You are bowing before the eternal, unchangeable God. And as God, we are told fourthly in this text that our Lord Jesus Christ is the creator. We read in verse 3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. A.T. Robertson said, one recalls in the Genesis account how God spoke and it was done. The full power of creative activity is thus claimed for Jesus on a par with the Father. And that summarizes well what we are told in this verse. Since all things are from him, he can be no creature. Jesus, the eternal word, is the one who spoke and the worlds were created. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, in these last days God has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. John five nineteen. whatever the Father does that the Son does likewise. And so we have it here that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Now, if the doctrine of creation unravels in people's minds, then how we view God, how we view the universe and the the material world in which we live, how we view ourselves and others and marriage, this and more unravels with it. This is extremely important that we maintain and hold this biblical doctrine of creation, and the center of it is that Jesus Christ is the creator and the sustainer of the world that he has made. That we are creatures, but Christ is the creator and the sustainer of all. But then as we move on in the text, we learn more of our Savior. Fifthly, our Lord Jesus Christ is the source of life and of light. And so in verses 4 and 5, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the light shines in the darkness, even into the darkness of our own hearts to give us light. And most never comprehend it, because only those comprehend it who are saved by grace. But if anyone has life, it is through Christ the Son, who is the light of men. He is the creator of all things. He is the source of all new creation And just as he spoke and there was light, so he speaks and there is light in the new creation. 1 John 5.11 says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. No one knows or enjoys spiritual life but through Jesus Christ. And if you are here this morning and have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you are still in darkness and we call you to his light. When God spoke the creative word, a world of light teeming with light and life was the result. And in John, to be separated from Christ 
is to be in darkness. This is a recurrent theme in John's gospel. And so when we read in verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world, the meaning in essence is that Jesus alone can make plain to anyone the meaning and the purpose of life. So that when someone says to me, Pastor, you talk about sin and you talk about grace, but I don't see my need of grace because I really don't see myself to be a sinner, I say to that person, I would ask you to come and stand alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. And standing alongside the Lord Jesus Christ in the blazing brilliance of his holiness and light, then by the grace of God you will see yourself to be a sinner in need of the grace of God in him. Those who know his life have experienced his light within our hearts And we see ourselves as sinners in need of grace. Have you seen yourself as a sinner in need of grace? And then sixthly, our Lord Jesus Christ, amazing, remarkable, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, who is the creator, who is the second person of the Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ is God incarnate. God incarnate. Now remember, children, incarnation, as we have been saying, means enfleshment. It means that God assumed human nature, that God became man. When your mom makes during this season of the year chili con carne, it's it's chili with meat, with flesh. Incarnation means enfleshment. And so we are told in verse 14... And the Word, this eternal Word of whom we read in verse 1, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God became man. Why the incarnation? Why did God become man? Why did the second person of the Trinity assume human nature? He assumed human nature because He could only save us by becoming one of us. He could only save human nature by assuming human nature. Adam lost all, but Christ, the last Adam, has come, and he gains all. And as man, he must die on the cross. His infinite nature giving to his finite sufferings infinite value. And the Word became flesh. And I am in total agreement with one of the old, old commentators who said, To explain the exact significance of the word became is beyond the power of any interpreter. Isn't it true? Isn't it beyond your power? We believe it. We embrace it. It is true. It's history, not myth. It's fact, not fiction. But who can comprehend that the eternal God came down and assumed human nature? Can you? And we beheld his glory... Because it was an historical event. But then we learn something else of our Savior. Seventhly, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh, reveals the heart of the Father. We read of this in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. From the word exegeomai, make known or reveal, God is saying that he would have a people know him and therefore in his son 
He has revealed himself, and in him the Father has been exegeted. He has been shown, revealed, made known, so that we may know him. May we know God. May we, puny creatures, finite creatures, finite and now fallen and sinful creatures, may we know God. And the answer of Christmas is yes. That's why he came. Amazingly, God wanted to know us, and the Word made flesh reveals his heart. You see the heart of the Father revealed in the manger. You see the heart of the Father revealed in Jesus' healing and raising the dead. You see the heart of the Father revealed in Jesus obeying the law in our place. And you see the heart of God the Father revealed in His infinite, eternal, unchangeable love when you see the God-man shedding His blood on a cross in order that the penalty of our sins might be paid in full. There you see the purpose of the incarnation of our Lord. There you see the heart of God the Father revealed. What is God's heart towards his people? The heart of God toward his people is Savior. That he would be our Savior from our awful, awful sins. That is the heart of the Father. And look at what it took. The lengths to which God would go in order that we might be saved from our hell-deserving sins. The lengths to which he went in order that we might have communion with him. The infinite, hear me, the infinite became finite. The eternal became subject to time. The creator became a creature. The sustainer became the sustained. The independent became dependent. God came down, 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 infinitely down. Into this fallen, sinful world he came, God became man. Now, I think that's a fair exposition of the main themes of this text on this Sunday before Christmas. The mystery of it all, the wonder of it all. Every Christmas I attempt the impossible to help lead the hearts of my sheep into a sense of amazement over this great, great event of the incarnation of our Lord. And as I say, I can never reach it nor plummets depths. But we keep trying. The mystery of Christmas. Now let's summarize a few points of application. I'm going to give you three. First, Christmas is a time when we should focus on the deepest theology. I know a minister who made a comment something like this, well, it's the Christmas season, so we won't be dealing with any great theology at this season of the year. No, no, quite the opposite. 
Christmas is a time in which we should focus on the deepest and richest theology, the Trinity. Over these past weeks, we've seen Colossians 1, Philippians 2, and now John 1, that Christ is God, yet distinguished from the Father, and all of the data of these passages and many more demand the doctrine of the Trinity. One God in three persons, but the person of Christ. Just think of it. John Murray said so well, the thought of incarnation is stupendous. For it means the conjunction in one person of all that belongs to Godhead and all that belongs to manhood. So there we have it. Two natures. He is God, he is man in one person. The Chalcedonian formula of 451. The divine and the human natures are united inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. Article 2 of the 39 Articles of the Church of England says it beautifully. Listen to this. The Son, which is the Word of the Father, begotten from everlasting of the Father, the very and eternal God, and of one substance with the Father, took man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin, of her substance, So that two whole and perfect natures, that is to say the Godhead and the manhood, were joined together in one person, never to be divided, whereof is one Christ, very God and very man, who truly suffered, was crucified, dead and buried, to reconcile his Father to us, and to be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for the actual sins of men. And it simply cannot be said better. So here we have the deepest and richest theology. But my friends, theology is the application of Scripture to life. So we take these great truths that we are called upon to apprehend as far as we possibly can with our intellects, And we apply them to our wills and to our lives and to our actions. So secondly, we take all of this rich theology and we see in it, do we not, amazing grace. We see amazing condescension and we see in that condescension amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. The life has come, the light has come, the word has come, and he has dwelt among us. God came down. This is no myth. This is history. This is the meaning of life. And I ask myself the question, do you? Why would he love us so? Why? We've rebelled against him. We have turned from him. Our depraved hearts would have nothing to do with him. We would not have him rule over us. Why? Why would he love us? Why would he sacrifice his own son? Why would the son voluntarily come at the behest of the father? Why? Why? Why would he remove my guilt? Why would he save me from my sin? Why? Why would he do this? Why would he love us? And the scripture's answer to the question, why does God love us, is is this. He loves us 
Because he loves us. What more can you say? It's not because of anything within me or within you. He loves us because he loves us. God is love. And this condescension and this amazing grace calls each and every one of us to faith in Christ. Who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You will not come to salvation by any philosophy, by any religion that this world can produce, by any work that you think you can perform. You may only go to heaven. You can only know the Father. You can only fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, God, who came down and assumed human nature and died on a cross to pay the penalty of our sins. That's the only way that you can know God. So have you believed in this Christ for the saving of your soul? And then I promised you a third unraveling of applications. And it's this. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in him with all of your heart? This Christ of Christmas that came down and was incarnate, born of a virgin, who has done so much for us, who has done what we could never have done for ourselves for us, who obeyed the law that you broke, who paid the penalty of your sins, believer, on the cross, who rose from the dead for your justification that you might be accepted with God who has sent his spirit to indwell you and continues to sanctify you, who has done all of this for you so that you are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him. Has he done this for you? Then I ask this question of us. How can you honor him too much? How can you exalt him too much? In your life, in your heart, in your actions, in your feelings, in your expressions, how can you and I honor him too much, who is the preeminent Lord, creator, sustainer, and redeemer of sinners, who came to save you from your sins? You remember this quotation from Augustine? Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witnesses, the teacher be beaten with whips, the fountain be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Child of God, can you honor Christ too much? Can you think too highly of him who did this for you? Should this Christmas season not be a season of amazement? Should it not be a season of faith in him 
And should it not be a season of repentance from sin? People of God, let's all exalt Christ together. May Covenant Presbyterian Church be a church in which it is our goal and aim to exalt this Christ together because you cannot think too highly of him. And so I close with a quote that I often use this time of the year from Milne. Let me read it to you. I'll read it twice. If Jesus Christ shares the nature of God, we are called upon to worship him without cessation, obey him without hesitation, love him without reservation, and serve him without interruption. If Jesus Christ shares the nature of God, as we have seen in John 1, Philippians 2, Colossians 1, if Jesus Christ shares the nature of God, we are called upon to worship him without cessation, obey him without hesitation, love him without reservation, and serve him without interruption. And God's people said, Amen.